0: Hi everybody and welcome to our new series called Becoming Wise and I'm really excited about this. Let's get a chance to talk about some things that have been on my heart for quite a while and for the next few weeks I want to talk in particular to our senior saints. Now why? Because I'm selfish and this is for me. Are you a senior? Well that's debatable but I don't just mean retired folks. I'm talking about those who've walked with Jesus for a couple of decades. Folks who have seen a bit of life and have learned a thing or two. You know, we often speak to our young people at Gateway to encourage them in their faith and to teach them how to dream big and inspire them to do worthwhile things for the kingdom. But for this season, we are going to hopefully... Soak our older folk with kingdom inspiration. But young people, please do not turn off. Listen up. What do you want to be when you grow up? Because it starts now. And I'm hoping you will get some inspiration as to what you as a senior saint might look like. So let's start with a musing from my strange imagination. Can we revisit the story of the prodigal son? Now, I think most of us know the story of this this boy, but what was he like in his 60s? Have you ever thought about that? We all know the story. The young man who was bored with respectability, demands his inheritance early from his father and blows it all on wine, women and song. Hitting rock bottom, he finally staggers home humiliated, falling into the gracious, forgiving arms of his ever-loving father. His dad throws a big celebration party for him and we assume that they all lived happily ever after. But if we visited that same family 20 years later, what would that son be doing? Would he have gotten, gotten bored again and taken off on another fruitless adventure? Would he and his older brother have formed an alliance, usurped their father, and kicked him out of the family business? Would he be working for his father in the family business but feeling jaded, bored, thinking there's got to be more to life? Or would he have slowly grown in wisdom, having learned from his earlier experiences and the gentle mentoring of his dad? Was he now a man well respected in his community, one who was generous in all ways and sought to mentor younger men who were restless and looking for purposes he was? How do we become wise? I do know that it's not necessarily a function of age, but it helps a bit. You know, I've met some very elderly people who are not wise at all. And at the other end, I can say, I can probably say that I have never met a 12-year-old that has fully developed in their wisdom. It is partly a function of time and experience, but it's not guaranteed. Many of you are probably still trying to work out where you are on the wisdom maturity timeline. Are you a senior saint or not? So let's lay out a few thoughts about how we develop spiritually. And firstly, I want to say develop, we should, and we must. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul writes this, When I was an infant at my mother's breast, I gurgled and cooed like an infant. When I grew up, I left those infant ways for good. We don't see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist. But it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then. See it all as clearly as God sees us, knowing him directly, just as he knows us. I love that picture of of standing between two realities. It's our childhood and our more mature years. God expects us to grow up in our faith, to leave those childish things behind. But we will never know. We will never know everything. We'll never know it all this side of heaven but we do need to grow in knowledge, yes, but more so in godly wisdom. Now, here are three ways of looking at maturity. Perhaps I'll help you to work out where you sit on this timeline. First one, when we are young, we struggle to get our lives together. We struggle to, to leave home to finish our education, to find our purpose, our calling, our career. And then we enter the struggle to to make our own home, maybe to find a partner, make a family or to join one. When we reach a more mature stage, we enter into a different struggle and that is the struggle of how to give our lives away. How do we influence, help, make a difference? So the first way to look at maturity is this. We move from the struggle to get our lives together to the struggle to give our lives away. Here's the second way, which is similar. Mature living is about becoming an elder. An elder is someone who helps carry life rather than someone who still needs to be carried. Where do you feel you are on that scale? Now, third way of looking at that is is that our life is a journey, hopefully a journey to maturity. In the book Becoming Sage by Michelle Van Loon, she sets out the stages that many of us go through. See if you can recognise your own story in this. Stage one. It's when we we say for the first time, God, I believe in you. It's like this growing, it could be a growing awareness if you grew up in a Christian home, or it might have been a sudden conversion for you, often in your teenage years. But stage one is just this understanding, God, yep, yeah, I believe in you. Stage two, God, I belong to your people. And this is where we learn how to live within the faith community, within the church. We're not on our own. We're part of this tribe, this family. Stage three, God, I'm working for you. And here we have this this desire to do big things for God, a desire to serve him, to be on mission for him, And I see that in many of our precious young adults and the way that they're just pouring back into young people. Stage four. God, where in the heck are you? This is what some of the ancient scholars in Christianity called the dark night of the soul. It could be some grief that you go through or suffering it could, be, it could even be a monotony that sets in about your Christian faith. You know, like a marathon runner would figure in the middle of his 42K run. It could be a feeling of, is this all there is? It's like we're hitting a wall in our faith and our life. There is a key decision to be made here. And that is whether we learn to surrender to God in a deeper way. But many people get stuck here. They leave Christian community and often deconstruct their faith. But if we can navigate this experience well, we will discover that we are moving from the certainty of youth you know, that time when you th- you thought that you knew it all, you understood God, you understood the church, to the humility of wisdom. And that wisdom is that we can continue to walk with God even in our darkness, even when we don't understand what's happening. That can lead to stage five. God I'm ready to pass along what you have given me. We talked about it in, in that first one. It's we're moving into that struggle to give our lives away. I'm ready to pass along what you've given me. If we persevere, we will find ourselves on the other side of the wall and our faith will look different. It will be stronger. Maybe it's we're no longer motivated by doing big things for God, but we're discovering the richness of living in companionship with him. And because of that, we desire to pass on the wisdom of life experience and what we have learned about following him. And then there's the final stage. God, I'm coming home. This is a faith moving towards completion. Completion. And it's marked by an ever-deepening surrender to God as life on earth is relinquished to him and we prepare for death. It can be a time of great meaning as we say goodbye to this life and prepare to be with the Lord that we've loved for so long. I saw this up close with my own parents and it was a beautiful time of life. Not morbid or tragic, but the reward for a life well lived in the growing wisdom of God. There is an invitation here to those of us who have lived and loved a while. An invitation to see your life as purposeful, regardless of how much time we have left on this planet. Those of us who have been through the struggle to get our lives together are now invited to give it away for the sake of others and these later years should be our most generous our most forgiving our most gracious most loving our most purposeful and influential but we have to be prepared to pay the cost I want to tell you one of my favourite stories and then leave you with a thought. Many of you will know this story. It may be called a children's book, but Marjorie Williams' 1922 classic, The Velveteen Rabbit, is a profound parable about midlife and beyond. A boy receives a velveteen stuffed rabbit one Christmas. The toy is soon shelved with the boy's other neglected playthings. The forgotten little rabbit's deepest longing is to become real. One of the most beloved passages in the book is where a fellow stuffed skin horse describes the process of of becoming real to the little rabbit. The skin horse had lived longer in the nursery than any of the others. He was so old that his brown coat was bald in patches and showed the seams underneath. He was wise, for he had seen a long succession of mechanical toys arrive to boast and swagger, and by and by break their springs and pass away, and he knew that they were only toys and would never turn into anything else. For nursery magic is very strange and wonderful, and only those playthings that are old and wise and experienced like the skin horse understand all about it. What is real? Asked the rabbit one day when they were lying side by side in the nursery. Does it mean having things that buzz inside you and a stick out handle? Real isn't how you were made, said the skin horse. It's a thing that happens to you. When a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really loves you. Then you become real. Does it hurt? Asked the rabbit. Sometimes, said the skin horse, for he was always truthful. When you are real, you don't mind being hurt. Does it happen all at once, like being wound up? He asked, or bit by bit? It doesn't happen all at once, said the skin horse. You become. It takes a long time. That's why it doesn't happen often to people who break easily or have sharp edges or who have to be carefully kept. Generally, by the time you are real, most of your hair has been loved off and your eyes drop out and you get loose in the joints and very shabby. But these things don't matter at all, because once you are real, you can't be ugly, except to people who don't understand." "'I suppose you are real,' said the rabbit, and then he wished he'd not said it, for he thought the skin horse might be sensitive, but the skin horse only smiled. "'The boy's uncle made me real,' he said. "'That was a great many years ago.' But once you are real, you can't become unreal again. It lasts for always. In that beautiful story, becoming real, becoming wise, means getting used up, giving yourself away. So why would anybody do it? If gaining the wisdom of maturity comes with the cost of our comfort and security, why not walk away from it all and protect yourself? Live a life of luxury. For the prodigal son, after the initial emotional fervour of his return had waned, we can imagine that some disillusionment may have slipped in. I wonder what your story is. If you're a follower of Christ, after your conversion to Christ, maybe in your teenage years, you probably served God in the church fervently, wanting to see your friends won for Christ. You were as generous as you could be with your time and money and talents, and were so excited to help build Christian community. And then maybe you hit a wall. Financial pressure, family problems, work demands a tragedy of some kind. Christian community may have become just another responsibility instead of a blessing in your life. You sometimes wonder what happened to that fired-up disciple of Christ who was going to change the world, and yet, and yet here you are listening today. You have not given up hope. Why? I think it's for this reason. As we grow in wisdom, we learn to act out of our convictions and not our feelings. We have learned to respond out of trust, even when we don't always understand. There is an incredible story in the sixth chapter of John. Jesus has just done one of his incredible miracles, feeding thousands of people in a miraculous way. And then he starts to talk to the people and the disciples about the fact that he is the bread of life. And he says he says some really weird things. He says, unless you, you eat my flesh and drink my blood... You cannot fully experience what I'm talking about. Now, of course, Jesus was talking as an analogy. Unless we we really take him into ourselves and, and live for him, we're not going to experience the fullness of who he is. But, of course, the way he expressed it just sounded so weird. And the people around him, there there were hundreds of people that were following Jesus at that time. And the people around him were saying, what is he talking about? That sounds really weird. I don't understand this. And a lot of them said, whoa, that's it. I thought this guy was incredible, but if he's going to talk like that, we're leaving. And a lot of followers of Christ walked away that day. And Jesus turned to his disciples and he said to them this is in John 6:66 6, He said to them do you also want to leave And Peter replied Master to whom would we go You have the words of real life eternal life We've already committed ourselves confident that you are the Holy One of God. Now, this answer is a paradigm for maturity and wisdom and sustained commitment over the long haul. Peter has just heard Jesus say something he cannot understand and what he does get he doesn't like. And Jesus says, do you want to walk away too? And Peter says, yes, I I would like to walk away, except that I know better. What I have just heard, I don't get. And what I get, I don't like. Except I know deep down that I am better off not getting it with you than getting it some other place. Does that sound a bit like marriage? For those of you that have been married a few decades, anyone that has been in a commitment for a long time, whether it be marriage or service to the community, knows that there are seasons when your commitment is not fun and you want to walk away, except except you are wise enough to know that over the long haul, this commitment is bringing you life. Those of us who have walked with Jesus for some time know about this, this God compulsion. It's an intuitive sense, deeper than feeling, of where we find authentic, real life. just want to read you a few comments from this fabulous book called Sacred Fire by Ronald Rolheiser, who is a Catholic theologian. Daniel Berrigan was once asked in an interview, where does faith live? Is faith more in the head or in the heart? He says, it's in neither. Faith is rarely where your head is at nor where your heart is. Faith is where your butt is at. In saying this, he was trying to highlight a major truth about faith and maturity, namely that our commitments, our actions, so much more than our thoughts and feelings ultimately determine whether we believe or not. It is strangely true that the "but is invariably a better indication of where we stand with faith and love than are our head, and our heart. Our actions speak more truly than do our words and feelings. During the long years of maturity when boredom, the longing for a second honeymoon, midlife crisis, misunderstanding, disillusionment and numerous other things eat away at our fidelity like rust on iron, We can find ourselves on any given day standing like Peter before Jesus with every reason of head and heart to walk away, but knowing at a deeper place inside of us that for us, real life depends on staying the course. When we honour that deeper place inside us, real life will flow into us. Can I tell you the end of the story about the Velveteen Rabbit? The little boy, his owner, gets scarlet fever and the doctor grabs the rabbit off the shelf and gives it to him to hug in his sickness. And the rabbit becomes his constant companion, becoming increasingly threadbare as the boy loved and cuddled him in his sickness. At one point the little rabbit looks out the window and sees real rabbits outside hopping through the trees and he feels a little depressed that he can't run like they can but he knows he is loved. When the boy recovers, the doctor orders all his soft toys removed and burnt. So sitting in a sack near the garbage bin, He reflects on the love he had for the boy and a real tear drops from his eye. And as they do in stories, a fairy appears and carries him to the forest, kissing him and telling him that he was real to the boy and he would now be real to the whole world. And Rabbit discovers that he can run and jump and kick. Velveteen Rabbit has become real this is such a powerful analogy for eternal life to hear those words from jesus well done good and faithful servant that's the kind of real life that i want that's the kind of wise elder i strive to be it might hurt a bit But what could be more rewarding? Where else would we go, Lord? Please don't miss next week because I want to talk about, well, putting our butt where this message is. What are some practical ideas of what we can do to give our lives away? Can I pray for all of us? God, I'm particularly praying right now for those people listening, who may be in the later years of their life, maybe have moved through that wall of of disillusionment, but still finding life hard and wondering sometimes, where are you in all of this? And yet we know deep down, Lord, that you are what gives us life. Where else would we go, Father, to find words of love and purpose? I pray that you would remind us deep in our spirits that you have not finished with us yet. That while we have breath, We have purpose. We thank you for your grace and your forgiveness. And I pray that you would show us ways that we can give our lives away in a more purposeful way. We ask this in your name. Amen.